Now, as we move forward in our sermon series, I Am, uh, we're going to come to one of the most dramatic stories today in the Gospel of John, and this is a story that involves Lazarus. Um, now, we're not going to be covering the whole story. Uh, we're probably going to be talking a lot more about the second half of the story. But before I begin, um, let me just give a quick recap of what happens in the first half of the story. And the story starts with Martha and Mary sending a messenger to Jesus telling him that their brother, Lazarus, is sick. And Jesus hears this and tells them that Lazarus's sickness will not end in death, but that God will be glorified. Uh, however, we eventually do find out that Lazarus' sickness does indeed end in death, and that Jesus deliberately waited two days uh, knowing that Lazarus would die. And the obvious question is, why? Why would Jesus wait two days knowing that Lazarus would die? And as we're going to see in a moment, we are going to see that Jesus did this because Christ trusted in the timing and the sovereignty of God. Jesus trusted that even in the face of death, God will not only bring Lazarus back to physical life, but he also trusted that God would bring a revival into the spiritual lives of his disciples and to the spiritual lives of Martha and Mary. So today I want to focus a little bit on this idea of trust. Why do we trust God? Why should we trust God? Um, I want to take us to look at are we only supposed to blindly follow him? Is this a blind faith, a blind trust? And I think these are questions that all Christians have. So let us take a look at that today in our passage. Uh, in John 11, uh, starting from verse 17, we're going to read all the way down to 44. So quite a bit of reading, uh, so bear with me here. So John chapter 11, starting from verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but staying, was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supporting, uh, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the, Jesus, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. There was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Powerful passage, very powerful passage. As John 11 starts, uh, we see that Jesus had just left to go back to Judea and arrived at Bethany, where Martha and Mary were staying, where actually Lazarus, they all lived together. And as he was coming into the city, Martha somehow heard that Jesus was coming, and she immediately left the house. And just as she meets Jesus, you can probably imagine the frustration, or perhaps even the anger in her voice. And the reason for that is that Jesus actually, as I said earlier, she, he, Jesus sent out a messenger ahead of him saying that Lazarus will not die, that the sickness will not end in death. And yet, what do we see here? We see that Lazarus indeed is dead. We find that Lazarus's sickness did end in death. And just for a moment, uh, picture all the thoughts racing through Martha's mind. Uh, I can imagine Martha saying, Lord, why did you lie to me? Why did you give me false hope by saying his sickness won't end in death? You told me, Lord, he wouldn't die. If only you came the moment, if only you came the moment you heard that my brother was sick, he would still be alive today. Why would you let my brother suffer like this? Why would you let me suffer like this? Why would you let my entire family suffer like this? All of this could have been prevented if you had just come. Where were you when I needed you the most, Lord? Where were you when my brother, Lazarus, needed you the most? It's easy for us to know why all this happened, right? Since we all know how the story ends. We all know that Lazarus was resurrected. But just imagine it for a moment from, Mar uh, from Martha's position. She has no idea why Jesus waited for two days. She has no idea what Jesus is doing here. She has no idea what Jesus is about to do either. And she has no idea what Jesus meant when he said in verse 4 that all of this is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. She's confused. She's upset. And the moment she sees Jesus, she cries out, she cries out Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of us 
have prayed this prayer before. Lord, if you had been here, I wouldn't have lost my job. Lord, if you had been here, my relationship wouldn't be in such a position. Lord, if you had been here, I wouldn't have this chronic illness. Lord, how can you give me a book of promises while you allow me to suffer? You told me, you love me, Lord. Where are you as all of this is happening? Has anyone prayed a prayer like this before? I know I definitely have. But what is so bewildering, what is, what is so shocking in this passage is that Martha says this right after her disappointment. She says this, but I know that even now, even after my brother has died and I am brokenhearted, even now, I know that God will give whatever you ask. And I find this passage to be so powerful because this is actually the same Martha uh, we all love to trash talk about, right? This is the same Martha who's too busy preparing the house rather than sitting at the feet of Christ, right? This is the same Martha who we probably all, you know, probably heard preachers say, be more like Mary and not like, and not like Martha. However, when push came to shove, when her faith was on the line, Martha demonstrates absolute trust in Jesus, even though she has no idea what Jesus is about to ask for. Martha doesn't come to Jesus with a list of requests. Rather, she trusts in the person of Jesus, and she trusts in God's fulfillment, that whatever Jesus is going to do in the midst of their crisis, will bring healing to her and her family. And this brings me to my first point today. Don't stop praying. Uh, it's a sad and unfortunate reality that Jesus never promised us that we won't suffer. Uh, in fact, the entirety of the New Testament is, is all about suffering, the suffering of Jesus, the suffering of the disciples as they were jailed and subsequently killed, uh, the suffering of Paul as he was imprisoned and also subsequently executed. Uh, the Bible is not shy in telling us that there will be suffering and that we will suffer in abundance. However, notice what Martha says in the midst of suffering. I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I just want to ask, does this verse sound familiar to some of us here today? Uh, doesn't it sound exactly like what Jesus says in John 16, 23, when he says to the disciples, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. You see, God doesn't promise to end all of our suffering in the here and now. But what he does promise is twofold. First, God listens, and second, God responds. And to be honest, I, I don't even know, or I don't think it even matters how you pray or even when you pray. If you take a look a little later at how Mary responds, she doesn't even come to God with words. She instead simply falls at the feet of Christ in tears. And I believe in many ways that even our tears and our wordless groans are prayers before God, asking him to respond. And as we ask in tears, I'm here to tell you today that God listens. God hears our prayers, and he will respond. In the face of death, we are able to lift up our eyes, just as Jesus does in verse 41, and says, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But it's pretty easy um, to say these type of things to people who are suffering, right? Like, oh, <laughs> why don't you just pray more? Um, or why don't you just trust in God more? And I'll be honest with you, if, if I'm going through tough times, uh, please do not <laughs> tell me to pray more or to trust in God more. I already know that. What I, what I do want you to tell me or what I do want you to question me about is, why should I trust God more? Why should I pray more? What is it about God that makes him worthy of trust? So let's take a look at that in our second sermon point today. Trust in the great I am. To read on a bit further, after Martha expresses her faith in Jesus, uh, Jesus goes on to tell her that her brother will rise again. And Martha answers by saying, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And even at this point, Martha does not realize that Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus. Uh, she still thinks that Jesus is talking about the end times. However, Jesus says something profound. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus is saying here is he's telling Martha, you keep thinking that this life, this resurrection, is during the end times. I am here to tell you that I am the life. I am the resurrection. You don't have to wait to the end times because the life and the resurrection you are looking for is right here. It is me. I am the resurrection and the life. And the thing is, Jesus isn't using life or resurrection as a metaphor, right? Maybe he used that as a metaphor with the light of the world or as a gate. But here Jesus is saying, I am literally the life. I am literally the resurrection. This is not a metaphor. It's not a simile. And I think Jesus demonstrates this idea of him literally being the life and literally being the resurrection perfectly by how he responds in verse 33 and 38, right? Jesus eventually sees Mary and the rest of the mourners, and he sees them weeping. And the NIV says in verse 33 that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, the thing is, in the Greek, it actually says that Jesus is angry. And I think in certain translation, it actually translates this as Jesus was angry. And the thing is, most Bible translators, they actually have a very difficult time translating this because actually throughout the entire New Testament, that word has always been used to mean angry, like anger. And so when we see Jesus confronting the mourners and him being angry, Bible translators are like, oh man, well, this can't be right. How can he be angry? But I think the word anger, instead of deeply moved in spirit and troubled, I think anger is actually the correct translation. Why was Jesus angry? I think Jesus was angry for one simple reason. If Jesus is indeed the literal life and the literal resurrection, then Jesus' only reaction towards suffering, death, and decay is anger. Suffering, death, 
and decay are the antithesis, the absolute opposites of everything that Jesus is. And so as Christians, we are called, right? We are called to trust in God's promises, but sometimes we don't question why. Is it because our parents told us? Because our pastor tells us? I think all of these are insufficient reasons to trust in God's promises. I believe the true reason we are to trust in God's promises is because first, we trust in who God is. We first trust that God is the literal life and the literal resurrection. We trust that God will eradicate sin, evil, death, and suffering because all of that is the antithesis, the opposite of who God is. God cannot stand to see suffering. In fact, God is upset and angry when he sees it because it is so contrary to who he is as a being. And so we already know that God listens to us when we pray to him. But how do we know that we can trust that God will respond to our sufferings? Because just as Jesus was deeply moved or angry at the sight of Lazarus' death and the mourning and the suffering that Mary and Martha had to endure, uh, Jesus is also deeply moved and, might I dare say, angry that we, as his body, have to suffer as well. And I believe God will do everything in his power to move us from death into life because Jesus is the life. Jesus is the resurrection. And I want to tell you that Jesus has actually proved this to us all today, that he has proved it on the cross through his own death for our sins, our shames, our sufferings. And he proved to us that he is life and the resurrection when he was raised on the third day. But what Jesus asks Martha and Mary, he also asks all of us here today. Do you believe this? Do you believe in me and who I am? And if you do, that's wonderful, because you will see the glory of God as he brings new life into your heart and soul and mind. If you don't, I encourage you to trust. Trust in God and see where he will bring you. Now, the thing is, with this passage, I think there's sometimes a, a very easy temptation to perhaps over-spiritualize this message. Um, it's always easy to just believe that Christ died for my sins, that Christ only died for my soul, and that when God's kingdom finally comes, I'll be that's the only time I'll experience true joy and true life. That's the only time where I'll be moved from death to life. Only when the end time comes um, will things finally be restored. And I think that's actually um, pretty bad theology and pretty bad spirituality. Um, notice, actually, this is the same mistake that Martha makes twice. Uh, Jesus is telling Martha quite plainly in verse 23, Martha, your brother will be resurrected. Um, however, Martha, she over-spiritualizes and thinks that, yeah, I, I know God, he'll be resurrected. At the end times, he'll be resurrected. And Martha, he, she also makes the same mistake again in verse 39, when Jesus is going in there to resurrect Lazarus, she says, 
Lord, don't open the stone. Don't move the stone away. You know, there's a foul odor. He's, he's been there for four days. So even at this point, Martha does not believe that Jesus can transform death into life in the here and now. Martha does not believe she can see God's glory today. And I know many Christians, uh, myself included, who, who over-spiritualize the life that is found in the gospel. Um, I know many Christians, also, again, myself included, who would say, ah, oh, you know, if, if the Lord would take me now, you know, then I would finally experience what true joy is like in heaven. Or if only the Lord can return right now and recreate heaven and earth, then I can finally experience what life in Christ is actually like. It's almost, you know, it's almost thinking about retirement, right? Like you're working 60 hours a week. If only I can retire, then I can finally experience true joy now. But the thing is, this type of thinking is actually escapism. It's a form of escaping our present reality, and it's a failure to see that God's grace is with us even here today, even when his kingdom is not here in its fullness. And so when Jesus enters the tomb in verse 38 to 41, Jesus declares something very radical. By coming face to face against the power of death, Jesus is bringing the glory of God into the arena. And by resurrecting Lazarus in front of Mary and Martha and all of the other Jews, Jesus is telling them that the glory of God is now here in their midst. Not something they have to wait until the end times. God's kingdom, God's life, God's resurrection is now here, right now. In theology, this is known as the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And this brings me to my final point today about God's present kingdom. What this means is that God's kingdom, God's reign, God's rule are already present today, right now. Although not in its fullness, it is here. By Jesus telling us that he is the life and the resurrection, Jesus is telling us that the miracles of restoration and renewal are not things that we have to wait until we die for, but something we can begin to experience in the present. Because God's kingdom is already here, growing as a mustard seed. Now, I'll be honest with you, you know, talking about miracles and about life is actually a very, very, very difficult sermon for me to write because of my own personal experiences with death. Um, as you all know, right, I've prayed endlessly for my mother. In fact, our entire family on my mother's side prayed for my mother daily, and she passed, uh, even when I became a believer. And my grandmother was in the hospice. I literally went on my knees in tears, asking God, please, Lord, just give her one more day, just one more day, so that all of our family can be here. And yet, she also passed. But I know that I have seen many, many miracles as well. I've seen a friend who purposefully overdosed on Xanax. I think he took like 60 pills, and he's still alive today. I have a friend who put a gun to his head with me on the phone on the other side. He pulled the trigger, and the gun jammed. 
And for the youths of our church, I have seen them find life in Christ while growing in broken families, to be able to find fellowship, to be able to call each other brothers and sisters. That, too, is a miracle of life. And as I was writing this sermon, you know, God kept asking me, he said, Brandon, is your understanding of how I will display my glory and how I will act in your life limited by your own imagination? He asked me, Brandon, do you put restrictions on me by demanding me to respond in certain ways? Do I put restrictions on God because I do not think that God will still perform miracles in our day and age? Or do I trust? Do I trust in who God is, who he says he is, and pray like Martha, and simply pray that Jesus will intercede for us before the Father, and the Father will do what is best for us in accordance to his will? See, just as Jesus asked Martha twice, I want to ask us all here today, do you believe this? Do you believe in who I say I am and what I will do? If you have doubts, that's, that's okay. Mary had doubts the entire passage. She didn't even believe twice. But not once did Jesus condemn her. Instead, Jesus patiently and calmly invites her to witness the glory and the miracle of God, even in the midst of her unbelief, even in the midst of her suffering and her doubts. And today, Jesus invites all of us here to see how he is the resurrection and how he is the life. So let's come together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you with anguished and heavy hearts. However, we also come before you to confess that you might not trust who you are or what you said you will do. Nevertheless, we hope, we have hope that you will bring restoration in our midst because your kingdom is already here with us. Although your kingdom is not here completely and we know that we will still suffer, we lay our lives in your hands, Jesus. And we simply pray and we trust that God will give you whatever you ask on behalf of us. Whether we receive the answers to our prayers or not, we can always trust in you for you are the literal resurrection and the literal life. We know that you will never lead us to death, but always to life because that is who you are. So let us trust in that. Let us trust in who you are and what you have done for us on the cross and through your resurrection. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen.